All right. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for uh, just a fun video of all our crazy shenanigans put on by um, just the fun that it is to uh, be with be with our church family, be with our friends, be with um, God. Just thank you for this place. Thank you for this time. Thank you that you have us here now, Lord. Lord, I pray that as we uh, prepare to hear Grant's words, um, Lord, that we might be uh, open and ready to hear what he might have to challenge us with or encourage us with or uh, just, God, uh, I just pray that we are ready to hear these words, but know that they come from you, God. Know that he has prepared for this, prayed over his words. God, as we, uh, as we listen to this, may we be receptive to how, how you might be asking us to respond. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Wow, that was a so, super surprise. I came in here the other day looking for Nancy, and she kind of popped her head out of that the sort of uh, parents' room at the side, kind of like looking really secretive. And I was like, "You good?" And she's like, "Yep, just doing something." I was like, "Oh, I think that's maybe what they were doing." That was really funny. That's good, man. Okay, so this is a uh, good morning, everyone. By the way, my name is Grant. Um, and I'm a pastor here with uh, Melody and Josh, and, and with all of you guys, like, it's just amazing after over four years knowing just the relationships that we have, there's so many different connections and ways that we do ministry together, and it is increasingly exciting for me uh, to be here. Um, this is the last in this sermon series that we've been doing about uh, why do we, uh, as we said before, you know, we did before the summer, why do we pray, gather, sing? take communion, all these things, you know, kind of positive things. And then we thought, you know, this is kind of definitely a space for some of the things that human beings do, which are maybe not so positive. Uh, we want to address those. So uh, this, this one today is kind of the wrap-up, plus it's also one of the four parts. So and I was just thinking, of, I was like, oh, great, there's more stuff happening than I was expecting. So, you know, just, just hopefully you can hang in with me. This message may be a bit longer this morning. I'll try and be concise, but I... I don't want to miss the point of what I'm trying to say, uh, and I hope that this is just the beginning of a conversation, because uh, I think this is a pretty vital issue, not just in our church, and I'd say maybe not so much in our church, but definitely in the body of Christ as a whole, uh, of which we are a part. The first uh, week we did was Why Do We Hide? Melody brought a message about that with all, with what kind of hide and seek happening. Um, why do we hide? Well, because we're human. We have issues with shame and fear. They're powerful human instincts. From the very beginning, the first people, the first ever game of hide and seek, God said, where are you? And Adam, Adam said, I, I did something wrong, and so I hid because I was afraid. And ever since then, human beings have been hiding from God, from one another. Why do we collide was the next one, and really kind of fundamentally comes down to the command that God says to love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and your neighbor as yourself, including yourself. And it's really a failure to engage in that. Once again, we're human. God knows we're human, but collisions are inevitable. Why do we divide? Josh shared that because it's easy, right? With the simple click, unfriend, unfollow, shut down. Uh, because he said we compare, we have issues around status, and because we have an enemy who seeks to divide the church. That's part of all of this, you know? It's the enemy that tempted the first hide-and-seek people. Uh, it's the enemy that just celebrates when, especially brothers and sisters in Christ, collide with each other. And when they divide, oh my goodness, the glee that our enemy feels. It's one of his major purposes is divide the body of Christ. And these are all available online. If you have missed any of these, I'd say out of all the series we've done for a long time, I think this one's pretty important. And if you've missed one or all of them, you know, take a little bit of time and I would, I'd say check them out. So today is why do we pick a side? And I want to thank everyone who participated today with my church-wide object lesson represented by this thing down the middle. And the fact that, as far as I know, you guys prefer the beach and, sorry, yes, yeah, so back to front over there, you guys prefer the beach, I can smell the salt, salty air, and you guys prefer the mountain, I can smell the sage, sagebrush, whatever. Um, you know, 
I could have picked any number of things, and we had a little discussion about which one I should pick. You know, something fairly innocuous is not going to cause a big fight, but like, so dark or milk chocolate, but then some were like, I don't like either, I don't like chocolate, I, don't like, I like white chocolate. Um, another thing, the World Cup is coming up, yeah. right? Yeah. Anyone not know that the World Cup's coming up? Okay. It's this game called football. It's when people use their foot and they kick a ball. The rest of the world loves it. Um, but the funny thing is, I was like, okay, who do I support in the World Cup? Because Scotland is out. What a surprise. <laughs> we're always out. And if we're not out with the first round, we're gone. By some, like, country you've probably never heard of, or most people in Scotland have never heard of. They're like, what? They beat us? I've never even heard of them. Um, but it's really kind of a challenge, because Group B, I looked at the groups that are competing, and Group B is England, Iran, USA, and Wales. And I tell you, I'm super torn by all those things, because my good friend Farid over here is from Iran. So I might watch a game with him and be like, come on, let's do this. Uh, there's two British teams, right? So that's kind of cool. And then there's another team in there which I have a fairly strong connection with, probably, you know, owing to where I live and all my family and all my friends and all my co-pastors and my world is pretty much in this country. So any seamstresses here, I'm going to buy four shirts, one of each, and I want you to separate them and make a shirt of representing all of them so I can be an equitable pastor, okay? And may the best team win. So, but why do we pick a side? Um, that's what we're talking about today. So hold on to your hats, because this is a controversial issue. Um, I want a question for you guys. What other things could I have used, could we have used to split this group up? Huh? Cats and dogs, that was one I thought about too. I hate both of those animals. <laughs> Anyone else? What? Political parties. Well, oh, really? Nah, don't believe you. Anyone else? Pineapple on your pizza or just generally pineapples? Or no pineapple on your pizzas? Anchovies on your pizza or no anchovies? It'd be like me, me and someone else on the anchovy side and this side would be completely everyone else. Yeah, do you do it from the top or you do it from the underneath? And by the way, it's from the top and everyone else is completely crazy. So, so that, that's kind of fun, right? If you look in, in your worship guide, there's some notes there that I wrote about this message. Um, and, and it says we all have preferences. It's also on the screen. If you want to do that, in case you get a paper cut. Uh, Mac or Android, cats or dogs, darker milk chocolate. Rarely do these differences cause substantial relational damage, and it would seem ludicrous for me to judge a person's intelligence, value, or character according to their choice of vacation destination or the cocoa to oil ratio in their candy bar, right? So some sides that we can pick may be fairly inconsequential and unlikely to cause many problems. Uh, others cause all sorts of issues. Again, from the sermon notes, there are, however, other polarizing choices that damage relationships, dehumanize other people made in God's image, and cause great harm to the body of Christ and its witness in the world that God so loves. Why do we pick a side? You know, even though we talked, we're talking fun stuff like beach and mountain, all side picking has the potential to divide us and break relationships. Think about this, beach and mountain, your family, there's six of you. You're planning a vacation. Half of you love the mountains. Half of you love the beach. In fact, it's beyond just love. It's more about the hate, the bugs in the mountain, the sticky sand, salty water. I'm not talking about my family at all right now. Um, it can cause division. And here's the thing, right? Out in the world, just the world outside your window, this is just business as usual. It's really not all that surprising. People for whom they are the sole decider of their life, this is what happens. We pick a side, business as usual. But when side picking infiltrates the body of Christ, we have a problem of great magnitude and seriousness. And we should expect the word of God to have strong things to say. And even potentially, we should expect the judgment of God to fall upon the church. 
So what sides can we pick? Well, there are religious sides to be picked, right? We have religious sides we pick all the time, doctrine and church styles, Bible translations. I had a friend, a dear friend, a very smart friend who, was, who believed King James' Bible was the only Bible that God had authorized, because the authorized version, which actually is it's a complicated thing, but he believed that was the only one that you could hear God's word from. There's lots of issues about Bible translations, but as a pastor of mine once said, whatever Bible translation you prefer, do what it says. <laughs> I love that. That was his answer. Worship music styles. Who remembers the worship wars of the 80s and 90s? It was this really churches split about hymns, no hymns, singing 7-Eleven songs, you know, like the same seven words 11 times, whatever it is, right? All this controversy and side picking and just chaos. Gifts of the Spirit. So-called sign gifts, speaking in tongues, gifts of healing or prophecy, words of knowledge, these kinds of things. Uh, did that, is, is that still something that the church has as a possession for the edification of the body to build us up? Or is it something that when the apostles died, it ceased to happen anymore? The first church I was in, when I was like 13, 14 years old, and I was fiercely in love with Jesus, and I was growing like a little weed in my faith and my prayer life, and they split up because the leaders in that church had an argument about that very thing, and they separated, and that spun me and a whole bunch of other kids off into the world, and it was a tragedy. Women in ministry, we have a female pastor, and I am really, really deeply grateful for her. And I personally believe, and, and you may differ on this, I'm going to say I personally believe that God's calling and equipping is based on his sovereign will and his purposeful gifting, and not on the gender of the person who's his servant, okay? But some of you may disagree with me, okay? Did you ever feel it though, you know? You know, views about creation and end times. I could have Fuzz, Dr. Fuzz Rana come up here and explain his perspective on how the origins of the earth potentially from his reading of Genesis and other passages and his knowledge of science, how that might have occurred. And there are people who are his brothers and sisters in Christ who disagree entirely with his perspective. We have convictions here in Song. don't get me wrong. We're not just wishy-washy like, you know, whatever goes, but we do have some convictions about how we deal with our convictions, and it's written on that wall sign over there. In essentials, unity. What are the essentials of the Christian faith? That's the question people ask them. Well, how many essentials do you have? Is everything essential? Is nothing essential? Or are there some things that are essential to call ourselves a historic Christian church, believing in Jesus, a creator, a savior, and the Holy Spirit, that the age to come, and what we're supposed to be doing in between all of that? In essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, and all things love. And that is a foundation upon which we can explore our beliefs and convictions with mutual love and respect. That's really important, that sign over there. And a much smarter person than me made it up. It was St. Augustine. <laughs> wow. I'd love to have him. I'd just like do a Bill and Ted and get people from the past and say, okay, who's going to preach this week? Let's have St. Augustine preach. But who's going to translate Latin or Greek or all the other languages he spoke? Um, but, you know, conflict in, ch in church wars are being known to kick off simply about a decision about what color carpets to put in the sanctuary or what color to paint the walls or chairs or pews. Have you seen that stuff? And so on, sadly, tragically. It's hum stupid human tricks, and it's always been this way. But I just want to say today, okay, because someone mentioned this. In our day and age, there is an insidious and growing divide that has increasingly found its way into the heart of the church, particularly in America, but also around the world. And, and the saddest thing is that we reflect and resemble the whole rest of the nation, many of whom don't have any interest in the kingdom of God or the gospel or witness to that. And it is politics, and in particular, national politics. I have no idea why these animals came to represent the parties, and that's way long to go into today. But, but there is a polarization here. And so, you know, you say, don't talk about religion and politics, so I delight to do both, right? because we just don't, you know, here's the thing. Once again, if we don't talk about things that are happening in our world that people are wondering about, we give the impression that our faith has nothing to say of relevance to the world of politics or to anything that we're fearful to talk about. Pastors are supposed to be nice, encourage good morals, make sure you put your cutlery this way on the table, and make sure you're nice and polite. And here's the thing. There are Voices in our culture on television and chat shows on the radio and in magazines and papers and newspapers who, who don't just do that. They do not stop discipling people 
about how to think and what to think about the things that we're thinking about. Who to trust, who to hate, who to ignore, what to believe. And that never stops. It's a constant, loud volume in our places. And, and then lastly, like the reason we're going to talk about this and everything else that there is to talk about is that, as Abraham Kuyper said, there's not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine, mine. And so, okay, today you might go like, checking out doesn't affect me, I'm interested in politics, okay? But it does affect you. It does affect you. It does affect me. Because one, number one, it's a nationwide issue. It's nationwide. Secondly, if you're an American citizen, you get a vote. It's an important thing. You get a vote. Everyone has some, has, should have some interest in this. I don't get a vote, by the way, because I'm an alien. That's what they call me. I'm a permanent resident alien. Um, being with family over the holidays is coming, right? Is anyone a little nervous about what might happen around your Thanksgiving or dinner table? And some of it may be to do with the differences of opinion about politics in your family? Well, more importantly, as I said, the pressure on all channels in our, our culture is repeatedly demanding that we pick a side. You ever feel that pressure? Partisan everything. I heard this thing about the state bird of Florida yesterday. This is not in my notes, but I'm going to share it because it's weird. Florida, mockingbird or the scrub jay. There was an argument about which bird, and it means nothing. It's just a stupid bird, right? But it got politicized. It even got down to the point that the scrub jay robs other birds' nests. Therefore, it's a sponger, depending on welfare and whatever. Seriously, it got seriously. NPR had this like, thing about it. It's so bizarre. It got politicized. I'm not sure who won yet, but you know, we're going to see. November's coming. We're going to have a vote. It's going to be on the ballot. But the algorithms as well, our social media, our lives are just inundated with social media and the algorithms are not helpful for this situation because you will be fed everything that you like and everything you already seem to like. It will feed you more and you're in a bubble, I'm in a bubble. And I just want to say, I have a tension on this. I'm not speaking just to you. I experience this tension all the time, a line between being informed and being conformed. There's a lot of advertisement out there. There's a lot of salesmen and there's a lot of attempts to raise money. And I feel it, and I'm confused at times about what I'm supposed to do about it. What is the alternative to picking a side if you get into this issue? Well, general confusion. I think that's where I'm kind of at. <laughs> I'm just generally confused. I kind of have haphazard convictions politically somewhat, depending on maybe the last person I spoke to, or the last thing I saw on TV that was really convincing, or that meme that just like, oh, that explains it, and then another one go, oh, that explains it, because I'm trying to be neutral, I'm trying to be impartial, I'm trying to be a good citizen, I'm trying to be a good person with my varied collective of friends around me. It's like today, a couple people came in here and they were like, Beecher Mountain, and said, well, my friend likes the beach, so I'll go sit with them, right, you know? I'm going to go sit with them. What are they like? I'm going to stay with them. Or we can avoid the topic altogether. We can be apolitical, or at least say we are. I'm not interested. It's got nothing to do with me. But surely Christians should have an interest in everything that happens in, in the culture that they, God has placed them. It's important. So I just want to say, you know, and perhaps, is there no longer a safe middle ground here that you can actually, with, with joy, maintain a, a perspective and a place in that middle place? First, I want, to say, I want to say this clearly. Whatever your political affiliation, you're welcome here. Whatever, whatever your political convictions or affiliation, you are welcome here. Because I'm not the one who welcomed you. Christ is the one who welcomes you. And he knows you. I don't know you. And I'm done with judging people according to these kinds of differences. Because I've tried it and it's awful. And I know in this room, there is a wide range of perspectives, because I know most of you better than you know each other, because some of you have found that maybe I'm safe to talk about these things with. So I know right now, and I'm talking not just about people in this room who are not on staff, I'm talking about staff and elders. We have different opinions and perspectives about some of this stuff. And here's the other thing. These are important issues at the heart of many of these discussions. They are important, important issues. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's not important. It is. And there are important issues in our country that need to be solved. And there, but there are different views about how best to do so. 
But also I want to say this, not all political, political perspectives are good or right. Not all political perspectives are good or right. And some of them are not good at all. And if we name Jesus as the Lord of our lives, we have a unique presence and purpose in this world. Unique, never seen before. Not normal human life, not normal human behavior, not what comes naturally. We have a unique purpose and presence, and we don't get to align ourselves with any power without first checking in with Christ and seeking his will. Behold, he said, the old has gone, the new has come. We are a new community. We are a new people. So I'm not going to tell you how to vote. Even if you ask me, even if you ask me to write a guide, I won't, because you have brains, and I hope that you don't detect any partisan talking points in what I'm sharing today. I really hope that you don't. I don't think anyone should be ever able to detect a church's allegiance to any political party. Ever. Sadly, that's not the case. I don't think that should be what we're talking about. We're, we talk about politics, but we're not telling you how to vote. We're not talking about that. This is not a party political uh, presentation on behalf of any earthly political party. My soul and goal and purpose in this very long seven-page introduction, <laughs> can you tell this is controversial and I'm really trying to be careful? I just want to say also, as Melody and Josh have said, if you have any questions after this stuff, we are a community, we're a family, and I'm a flawed, sinful human being, and I don't always say things perfectly. So please get a cup of coffee with me, a cup of tea, we can talk about it, right? My sole purpose and goal is this, to elevate Christ above all else, and recognize and protect and nurture the unity in Christ that we are called to live out as witnesses to his gospel. Our unity given to us, given to us, our present current possession that is a profound and central aspect of our lives as his ambassadors to all the world. So just as we don't divide because of biblical translations or creation or end times or spiritual gifts, nor should politics divide us. So question today because we're always, you know, Bibles are uh, really our kind of place where we look for faith and practice. How do we live our faith while we turn to the Word? Does the Bible address this issue? Well, it doesn't talk specifically about the personalities, um, maybe, or, or, the, or the options, but it, of course it does address this issue, because it addresses, like we said, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, the human heart, and the Bible talks strongly about that. We talked about hiding Shame from the beginning. The Bible talks about why we hide. The Bible talks about why we collide. The Bible talks about why we divide. And they all have serious issues, so the Bible talks about it. What about pick a side? I think what picking a side perhaps is about, and this is what this text we're going to talk about in Galatians is, it says it involves a watering down of the gospel. Okay, it diminishes that. And a fundamental disobedience to God's revealed will as well as a diminishment of his power, glory, and will, and an elevation of human power, glory, and will. So watering down of the gospel, a fundamental disobedience to God's full revealed will, and diminishment of his power, glory, and will, and an elevation of human power, glory, and will. So here's, here's this text. It's in Galatians chapter 1. And I believe God directed me specifically to this passage to talk about this. And I'm not going to dig into all of this passage because it's complex and it's, quite, it's relatively long, I kind of want only one point here. Galatians 1, 1 to 10. Here's what it says. This is a letter that Paul wrote to a church uh, in Asia Minor, kind of the area of Turkey, that kind of area. Um, he begins it this way. Paul, it's from him, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me. See, nothing by himself. This is, the, this is the common sense of purpose he's writing towards. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God, our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of, of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. 
As we have already said, and so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of people, human beings, or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So here's the point of this thing. Paul is writing to this church in Galatia, and what was happening was this is a church that Paul, when he was traveling around on boats and planes, trains, and automobiles, he comes to this place, there's a movement of the Holy Spirit, and a church is born in this area, and all is well. But as always happens, as we've talked about hiding and and colliding and dividing, uh, there's some active forces happening to to cause problems with this church. Uh, these people have been come to faith out of pagan religions, and they've come to understand a very simple gossip message of Christ and him crucified, that you no longer are tied to these superstitions. You have been set free to follow Christ. Well, apparently, what has happened is these leaders have come from Jerusalem. They're coming now and saying, okay, that's wonderful, but in order to be fully faithful to God, you also must... And in that particular case, it's you must obey the Jewish laws of the Old Testament. You must be circumcised. You must have dietary regulations, etc. Okay? So, yeah, that's wonderful. We're celebrating with you that you have come to trust in our Messiah. But you must also do all these things in order to be the right kind of Christian, the right kind of person. And so, it's an issue of this word. And bear with me, okay? This word is syncretism. Okay? It's a big word. I learned it in seminary. It only costs $55,000 to learn that word (laughs) and some other big words worth every penny. Syncretism, though, is this, the amalgamation, okay, so the the combining, combination, or attempted amalgamation of different religions, cultures, or schools of thought, okay? So it's kind of a, taking a combo approach. Okay, just saying, culturally, the, uh, the Christian faith can come into a place and many of the cultural things can stay intact, okay? But but this can be a problem when we take the simple gospel and then we add other things to it. I just want to mention a couple of things. The first is Christian nationalism, which has become a thing, I think, that some of you have maybe heard about. Uh, There's patriotism, and I am a supporter of patriotism, okay? I think being a patriot for your country, I love Scotland. God makes places. There's geography, there's people, there's cities, there's accomplishments, there's inventions, there's history, and it's wonderful, and there's differences in the world. And so I'd say I'm a Scottish patriot. I love my country, and I think it's a wonderful... America actually does a really, really good job of encouraging its people to be proud of this country, and there's much to be proud of. But Christian nationalism becomes problematic when it elevates a country elevates that country's story as being the more Christian, the more righteous version of Christianity. Christian nationalism takes takes the name of Christ for a worldly political agenda, and that's problematic because the first Christians never heard of America. The first Christians were actually told that, you know, the Jewish ones that came out saying, you're nationalism of your religion is part of the problem. You are meant to be called to the nations. The second thing, just to be an equal opportunity preacher, is what I'm going to call just Christian Marxism, okay? It's kind of the left-wing alternative, perhaps, to Christian nationalism on the right wing. And there's many, many things in between, so don't think there's just one flavor, but we don't have time. This one is kind of come from kind of a communistic background where it says that Really, God has been replaced by the state as being uh, the sustainer, provider, protector, and lawgiver for every citizen, okay? That's what people get concerned about. You're losing your freedoms. You're losing your rights. The state dictates and decides on every single thing that you get to do or don't get to do. And every time it's really been tried, it has been a horrible disaster. And actually, Christians have been persecuted more in these kinds of countries than anywhere else at times. Um, so there's a couple of things that are kind of around. Okay, there's kind of a left-wing Christian amalgamation. They talk about Jesus. Jesus is really only means to an end in some ways. Then we talk about parts of Jesus, like he fed the poor, he was carrying the social justice thing. And then on the other side is maybe we'll talk about parts of Jesus that he was very strong against this and this thing, this thing and this thing, right? But maybe forget the other things he said. But basically the point is Christ plus anything else is a problem. Christ plus anything else is a problem. 
I was reading this uh, commentary on Galatians, and the, and the writer said this, the reason Paul so vehemently attacks the agitators who operate in the Galatian communities with their message lies in his conviction that there is no salvation except in the crucified Christ. And he calls it a different gospel. It's worth pondering. There are many people who are sharing what I would say is a different gospel because of the appendages or the, the essentials that they say are attached to their particular brand of Christianity. What is the result of this pressure, this kind of cultural force in the world, the polarization? And, and something came to my mind. I've spoken to several really passionate local pastors. I've spoken to a lot of pastors, and there's some really common themes. I've also spoken to some of you and other people from other churches, and they've shared kind of the very same story with me, and it's this, that they've been accused of either being too right-wing or too le- right-wing or too left-wing by various people that they meet or groups, whereas all the time they've simply been prayerfully seeking to follow the sacrificial, humble path that Jesus spoke about and lived out and calls us to follow. And I've realized that these men and women didn't move. The culture around them moved. And the expectations that if you're a Christian, whether leaning to the right or to the left, people will question your Christianity because you're not aligning with all of the way they see how you should be uh, living that life. And that's problematic. Do you feel it? Okay, how long, who's been a Christian for 50 years here? Who's been a Christian for 40 years, 30 years, 20 years, 10 years, five years, one year? Okay, those especially who've been around the longest, do you feel that? Do you feel that the things that pastors said, which were biblical, in the 80s and 90s, early 90s perhaps, that were not seen at all as controversial are now suddenly often seen as controversial because there's a dogged discipling of people towards something that triggers people, whether on the left or the right, when a pastor says, the kingdom of God says this. And it's not about them saying, politically you're wrong. It's saying something that pushes up against a perspective. I think things have changed, and I think a lot of pastors are either terrified to say anything because people might leave their church, or they're capitalizing on the anger. Come to my church. We'll tell these, what's wrong with these people, or we'll tell you what's wrong with these people, right? I'm kind of sick of it. Can you tell? There are some churches who claim a revival, and actually what it is, they're just, we're going to get to this, they're just telling people exactly what they want to hear, and they're feeding their fears, and they're feeding their anger. And it's a big church either full of very angry people or very just disengaged people. That wasn't in my notes either. (laughs) Here's the thing. There were politicians in Jesus' day too. Do you get that? This is not a new issue. Like I've said before, I'm from Scotland. That's an ancient country. So good news is America's a quite a young country. Scotland's still there. It's kind of a socialist country. It's actually doing pretty well. And it's been there a long time, but it's been through all kinds of political systems, okay? All kinds, from murdering every other king every other day to whatever, right? But the bad news is that we cling to just one particular kind of system, you know? Things are going to change. America's going to have some real challenges. It is. It already is having. What are we going to do about it? Business as usual? Stupid human tricks? Are we going to try and do something different? I'm getting way ahead of myself. There were politicians in Jesus' day also, men of power and influence, political men. Politics is not a new thing. The use of power and influence is not a new thing. Some hoped that God, for a God, a Messiah, who would join them in destroying the Romans. They're going to rush the gates. They're going to kick all these Romans out of here because clearly they're all evil and bad. Some hoped for a Messiah who would just reinforce all the purity laws, really just dial down on the purity, like, you know, all the things that God has said in the Old Testament, if, you know, because there's actually a belief that if everyone in Israel, one, even one day, lived a perfect, pure life, the kingdom would come, and the, I would usher in this age of peace and plenty. The Romans believed that they were the, their emperor was the savior of the world, and that Roman exceptionalism, that Rome, 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 would usher in this amazing thousand-year reign of peace. And it was called the Roman peace, but it was, it was enforced by violence. Same stuff. So what did Jesus do in the midst of this? What side did Jesus pick? Anyone? Huh? Did you say? The Father. Okay, right? 
Yeah. And Wilbert, we can, we can look at Jesus' actions and his words and go like, okay, what did Jesus do in the midst of this kind of culture? Which is not that dissimilar from us. A lot of strong voices. What he did, he committed himself to humility, single-minded commitment to God's unique path for him. He didn't look at someone else and go, what are they doing? I'm going to do that. I'm like, he had this, I mean, more than we can get, right, guys? I'm not saying be like Jesus. You don't have this, you know, he, has this, he, he knew the will of God and he followed it perfectly, right? He, he had a radical inclusion and welcome to all kinds of people. He didn't ever go, hey, what's your affiliation first? We talk about that before we can hang out because, you know. Um, and he had this uh, continual refusal to follow human movements and campaigns to take present. Uh, to take presence of the kingdom, regardless of the personal cost he would pay. Okay, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm at zero on that clock. I hate that clock. But I told you it would be a little longer, okay? I hear that belly. I hear that belly. Um, so Jesus did a different path, right? It's quite refreshing. That's why I love reading the Gospels. Dude, I mean, dude and dudettes. Like, read it. Read the Bible. Read the Gospels. Anyone I meet who's, like, confused about something, just sit down and read the Gospels. Without any preconditions, this, see Jesus. Don't look at me. <laughs> look at Jesus, right? So, yeah, what should we do with this stuff, man? Because it's easy to say all these things, unearth all of these feelings and things. And I take it very seriously. I don't take that lightly. Uh, is there something that we can do? Tim Keller, who's a, who's a pastor in New York, who I really respect, um, he wrote this. The gospel gives us the resources to love people who reject both our beliefs and us personally. Because it's like doing this middle road. It's like, like you say, oh, you're too this way, you're too that way. It's kind of a lonely thing. Jesus was very lonely doing this path. This was not a popular path. He didn't make a lot of friends. Uh, Christians should think of how God rescued them. He did not do it by taking power, but by coming to earth, losing glory and power, serving and dying on a cross. How did Jesus save? Not with a sword, but with nails in his hands. So what do we do? Well, I think the first thing is always is to reflect on your current position, like evaluate with God. Remember the Psalms? You can express anything to God, just kind of compare, contrast, think about it. How do we evaluate perhaps our political allegiances? And, and what, the word that we need is discernment. We need to be discerning people. I think um, it requires time, it requires patience with yourself and with others, and it requires a lot of prayer. Uh, and just the, the words that, that came to mind for this is motives. The first thing is just think about any political group that you're involved with and you're involved with. What, what does it bring out in terms of motives, okay? Is it elevating human beings and human beings' uh, ideas and power? Or is it really elevating God's glory? Um, is it about truth? Uh, is that a motivation? A, a genuine search for truth. And I'm not talking about a flippant or a, or a simple, easy search for the things that confirm what I already believe, but like actually generally, as much as you were able, saying, I want to know the truth about this, and I'm willing for it to, to actually go against what I think. Um, what is the message of the political movement that you're involved with? I've been on Instagram too much recently, and it's called death scrolling. You know when you scroll on Instagram? Anyone? No one else? No one else? No one else? No one else? Anyone? And I get that political ads are like everywhere at the moment. And you know what they always start with? It's so funny. As soon as it goes on, the audio starts and says, don't scroll past. <laughs> and I scroll past. And I feel really like guilty about it. Like I should give this guy a hearing. I feel like a bad person. But what, if you listen, what's the message? It's usually something like if we don't stop blank or if we don't enact blank or if you don't support blank or if you don't give money to blank, disaster. The world is over, just forget about it. It's the end of the world as we know it. The churches will be closed or, you know, whatever fears we have. It's a really, really good message for fundraising. It's a really good message for fundraising. But it's a terrible message for anyone who's interested in the kingdom of God. It's a terrible message. We should not be those people. If we don't vote this way, it's all done. What am I going to do? <laughs> Remember um, the orientation, disorientation, new orientation thing that we did? The first one was orientation. What is orientation based upon? It is based upon God, that he is dependable, that he is sovereign, that he is the Lord of time, of history, of everything past, present, future, and we can trust him for the stability of all that we need. And if we start getting so freaked out, like the little animal running around saying the sky is falling, 
Number one, what does that say about our faith in the God we say we trust in? And number two, what a dreadful way to live. It's exhausting, constantly afraid. And I tell you, it's all about making money. Nuanced, pleasant conversations don't make money for campaign financing. Fear, worry, anxiety makes a lot of money. It's a system. So methods. I talked about tickling ears earlier. I talked about perhaps churches. Like, I don't want to make your ears tickle. I don't want to tell you things you already know or already want to believe. I also don't want to hurt you. I don't want to hurt you. But there's a passage in 2 Timothy that says, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Okay? It's so funny how churches that seem to always pander to the status quo of their church constantly criticize other churches for talking to the itching ears. And I, I see it so often. I'm just like, no, you're doing the very same thing. Except you're just, you've got this one message that is really good for building a big church with like-minded people. That's not what we're called to do. It says fables. What are fables these days? It's the stories we tell ourselves about the reality we live in, right? Who are we listening to to tell us what is true? What is the story about? The second to last M word, I like alliteration, is membership. Look around your political room. Look around your friend group. Look around your Facebook group. Who's in your room? Who do you listen to? How many people do you trust deeply whom you've never, ever met before? Whether it's on television, on the radio, in books. Think about this. Every person who has a big platform has a department in their group called PR, okay? Uh, and a whole array of folks whose purpose is to make them successful in the marketplace of ideas. Why do they need that? Why do they need people to tell them what's going to play well or sell well? And why would we listen to those people? I've met a few people who wrote big books, and I was very disappointed in a couple of them. Because they're good at what they say is great, but then living next to somebody can be a whole different matter. Who's in your room? Who are you listening to? Who are you talking to? And I shared this before, so I'm going to share it again. If you think about this, the person closest to you in political perspective, the person when you get together over coffee, whatever, tea, penny Guinness, you've got everything in common politically, okay? But you're not, but faith is not a common thing with you, okay? You don't share the same, you know, faith in Jesus Christ, okay? I will say to you right now, that if you can think of the person who's furthest from you politically, I mean as opposed or different politically as you can, but who does trust in Christ, you are closer to that person than you are to the person who you're completely aligned with politically. And that's a fact. You're brothers. You're sisters. The final word is fruit, because I couldn't think of a word beginning with M, except for melon, but it didn't make sense. So forgive my lack of alliteration here. I just say simply, what is the fruit of your engagement with politics? What is the fruit? I'm just going to read. This is the Bible again. Galatians, same book that Paul's talking about. He's like, okay, I see that you're following a different gospel. It's a lot more to do with men than it is about Christ, and I'm really worried about you. And then he, said, then he doesn't mess around. He's like, this is what it should look like if you're in this gospel that's the one that we've been given to you. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual morality, impurity, idolatry, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the Holy Spirit produces the, this kind of fruit in our lives. And now I slow down. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What's the fruit of your political engagement? Think about it. Unity is also a fruit of the Spirit. Where the Spirit is, there is peace between brothers and sisters. So what, is there a better way? I think there is a better way. It's a hard way. And uh, I'm using a term I heard recently, which I thought was kind of interesting. It's called the radical middle. 
the radical middle. And it's Christians that came up with this. Christians who are sick and tired of the polarization of policies in this country and are much more concerned about Christ and about following him in all things. Uh, people, you commonly use the phrases the radical left and the radical right. And I'd say extreme left and right are not radical. They are boring and predictable. They're human stuff. We, it's natural just to pick a side, okay? If you have a radical middle... Paul's encouragement here in Galatians again, so in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there's a male, female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. A new identity. You and I are not yet who we will be. Everyone else can hide and collide and divide and pick a side. I'm not everyone. I'm a child of God and a member of his kingdom. And I want to find a different way. couple other random notes I'm going to share because, you know, I was so busy this week with stuff, but I thought I'm just going to, I'm going to get up here to say what I can, right? Question, are you deeply involved in a particular political culture? Wonderful. Consider yourself a missionary to that group of people, bringing the good news of Christ into that group of people, whatever side it is. Um, I'm going to ask the band to come up now. That was smooth, wasn't it? Here's the thing. Yeah. Like, I love this church. We're human beings. I, I never want it to be like, you know, it's the final word on this thing. But I'm sharing what I feel God's placed on my heart. And I feel, like, prophetic about this. I really, really, really do. I'd much rather talk about something simpler or easier. But I am, I am sad I know a lot of you are too about the constant prodding of bipartisan politics into the body of Christ. It makes me sad. And what makes me sad most is, is, is really, I mean, it's this thing here, okay? This line we have here. Because we we're going to go communion now. And thankfully, I have one communion table on the, which side is this again? I have one communion table on the mountainside, so you guys can all have communion over here. And I have one communion table on that side, so you beach people can all have communion over there, okay? Does that make sense? Is that good? Finally, he gets to the whole point of the thing. We have been worshiping God this morning in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit together, yet there has been this barrier between us. A barrier. I felt it earlier. When we did that call and response thing about unity and about being the body of Christ, this was like a huge, like, are you sure? And this is just about beaches and mountains. But I think that this is, this is an illustration of what so often is happening in the church where we will come to the table of communion, not just in this room, but around the nation, and our hearts are separate. Our allegiances are divided but yet we think we can come and with an honest faithfulness to receive the body of which we are part and the blood that has created this ability for us to be one body, one spirit, and take it without giving a thought to the fact that in many ways our lives tell a different story, that we are brothers and sisters of differing perspectives, and that's okay because none of us are where we should be. All of us can learn more things. Just recap on the hide, collide, divide, pick a side thing. Hide. Let's not hide. Be honest about what you think and what you believe. Be honest. But recognize also that you're a sinner and you're blind to a great many things that you need God and others to teach you. That's body life. There is value. Take off our blinkers there's a beautiful world out there full of people that can teach you a lot about things that you're not aware of yet, whether it's in education, whether it's in just other people's experiences. Collide. You know, we're going to have to live lives that are marked by a readiness towards forgiveness and reconciliation because we're going to collide. We're going to collide. Divide. We often choose the easy way out and therefore we shrink our circle of friendships down to the easiest ones. Um... But the only way this can happen is if everyone stays in the room together to have a conversation about these things. 
And then once again, pick a side. Whose side is Christ on? Whose side is Christ on? I'd say he is both for me and against me. He is always for me, but he's also against me because I'm not yet who I should be. And I don't think any of us are. How did Christ respond to our, our alienation from him? While we were his enemies, what did he do? He died for us. That's the ultimate rock-solid truth of the gospel that we had picked a side and it wasn't his side. And he stepped over to our side again and again and again and again. And he humbled himself and he set aside his glory and he gave his life for his enemies that we could experience life again. The Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. I'm asking Melody and Josh to get rid of this barrier. We're not going to take communion in separate sides of this room. This is a picture. We are one. Not, not necessarily in action and experience and political conviction. We are not one in that, nor should we try to be. The last thing I ever want to do is for us to all go, okay, let's just pretend we all agree. The beautiful thing about it is we don't, and there is blessing and wonder and righteousness to be found in many different perspectives, but we are one in Christ. And this is what this is about, that we say, we, I want to be part of nurturing this oneness. It's only 11.30, you guys are good. This is almost lunch, <laughs> right? So we're going to move the tables. Whenever you are ready, just think about it. Just bring yourself, you know. God invites you just as you are. And if, hopefully today we might ponder what it means to be Christ-centered above all else. We come and take the bread because that original gathering of 12 men or so around the table Wow, what a ragtag bunch. They didn't agree with each other. In fact, they were just fighting about a few hours earlier about who, which one of them was the best. But Jesus said, come to the table, all of you. This will provide the sustenance that you need to step into the kingdom that I'm building, to be a new creation, to be different, to not be like the rest of the world does, going with nature to hide, divide, collide, pick a side. So take your time, come and get some communion, then we will worship God together, singing, here am I, Lord, send me.